The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range, Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie Hi there. George Hook here with The Right Hook on News Talk Tuesday's version. And if there are things you missed on the show, or indeed if you missed the show in its entirety, here are some of the highlights. Uh, the emails are flying in to uh, george at newstalk.com looking for uh, the Hook Diet, which is based, of course, on good Catholic practice. And... Uh, it's Peter this time has sent me uh, a, a request and uh, we'll get that uh, off to you, Peter. Now, I have a text as well. I, it's, uh, uh, I lost six, six and a half stone, 12 months. It's called the Amen Diet. Then again, I was well overweight. Porridge three times a day, three days a week and fruit, nothing else. I'm now... Uh, 16 and a half stone, says Eamon in Cork. Uh, obviously, a lot depends. I, you must have been, if dare I say it, I'm pretty enormous to lose six and a half stone. But also, I'm deeply worried about diets like porridge uh, and fruit and nothing else as it seems to leave out a lot of nutrients that are very important. But I'm no expert. Anyway, it's another fine mess for the government for Irish water and everything else. Paul Murphy, uh, the anti-austerity campaigner, then Fianna Fáil, then Sinn Féin, um, they, it looks as if the head of the newly established commission, Senator Joe Toole, is going to fall on his sword. Here's Simon Coveney at the Oireachtas committee meeting this afternoon. I've spoken to him um today and yesterday. Um, I know there's been um, some commentary and some criticism in relation to um, uh, um, uh, a media interview that he did in relation to um, his personal views uh, on water. The chair of the commission will will make a personal statement in relation to that issue um, later on this afternoon. Um, So I'd, uh, I'd appreciate if people would give him the time and space to do that. Well, he's got the time and the space, and Joe Tullett said that it was his firm intention to remain as chair of the commission. He was looking forward to doing it, uh, and that was until Minister Coveney informed me that the main opposition party would not cooperate with the government on this and related issues as long as I remained in the chair. That's central too. Effectively, for me to remain in situ would result in the government being spancelled in implementing policy and enacting legislation. Despite the support of Minister Coveney, this is a situation I'm not prepared to countenance, and therefore I'm withdrawing from the position of the chair. And he goes on. Um, This is claptrap unadulterated claptrap by a government that is inexorably heading in decline and to its terminal conclusion. 
Look who's called for the resignation of the chairman. Paul Murphy, uh, who says, how can you have a chairman of the commission uh, who believes in water charges? What Paul Murphy wants is a chairman of the commission who doesn't believe in water charges. Then, then you have all opportunists extraordinary, who pretend that they're going to con- involve themselves in constructive opposition to support the government. And Sinn Féin, what more would you expect? Where are they going to get uh, a chairman of the Irish Water Commission who is neutral? The only I would suggest that we immediately place an advertisement in the South Mongolian Echo to find somebody who has never heard of Irish water or indeed may well not have ever heard of water coming out of a tap. It is nonsense to assume that you can get a chairman. All right, maybe you shouldn't have said anything um, in a media interview, but this is just opportunism. The government are utterly chicken. They're chicken of the Independent Alliance. They're chicken of Fianna Fáil. They're chicken of Paul Murphy and Sinn Féin. They're, they're terrified of their own shadow. <laughs> What she wore. It was an itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini that she wore for the first time today. And itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow. Oh, well, there you have it. Back to. Uh Certainly my school days, I think, in itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny dot bikini. Now, the interesting thing about the development of the swimsuit was there was a channel swimmer called Kellerman in the beginning of the 20th century. Australian, I think she was. She turned up on the beach and she was arrested because it was a one-piece bathing suit because, of course, you remember... The women then used to wear a thing which was a kind of a dress and bloomers. Well, the itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny polka dot bikini is about five times the amount of cloth that they are currently wearing uh, down on Sandy Mount Strand. I mean, at least it covered your bum. Now, of course, there's no back to these bikinis. There's... There's just a string. And then in front, of course, there's a postage stamp. So, I mean, the whole thing is... This poor fella uh, singing about the bikini had no idea what was to come. But the first bikini, when do you think it came? Have a think. You got it? 70 years ago today. It was an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka-dollar-kini That she wore for the first time today well, Victoria Jones of Talk Media News is on the line uh, because, of course, Hillary's in hot water. The FBI were talking about their investigation of her. Uh, Victoria, what's going on with Hillary? Is this a terminal blow? It's hard to tell whether it is. It's a very damaging blow, and it comes on a day that should have been very triumphant for her, the day when President Obama campaigned with her in North Carolina. 
he campaigns by her side for the first time, and he was going to say that we've gone from being enemies to friends, and she is trustworthy. She is the person you can trust in my job. And then FBI Director James Comey, who is a man who all of America trusts, he is like the straight arrow because he stood up to George W. Bush during the Bush administration um, in an, an incident that I won't go into. But everybody knows that he is a straight arrow, and he just stood there right now live on television and told us all the things that she did wrong with her private email uh, server, called her conduct reckless and careless, um, and uh, was extremely critical of it, but, uh, and, and also said that there was evidence that any reasonable person should have known that a, an unclassified system was no place for certain conversations that she had. He also said that even though he couldn't find direct evidence that she was personally hacked with this private email server that she had in her house where she used all her, her emails when she was Secretary of State, she did not use government email, he also said that um, it was very likely because she used this system extensively outside the U.S. and in what he called territory of sophisticated adversaries he said it's possible that hostile actors gained access okay. to her email account. But nevertheless, he is not recommending to the Department of Justice that she be prosecuted. But hold on a minute. Yalta Conference 1945. Stalin uh, bugged Winston Churchill and uh, the, the American president to find out what they were going on. You would imagine 70 years later, with the kind of sophistication we are in, that the American Secretary of State would know better. Surely, surely, even opposed by somebody like Trump, she's goosed. Well, I think she's very, very damaged, and I'm looking at my Twitter account right now where I follow Donald Trump to see whether he has tweeted yet on this to see what he said. Uh, and I'm not, I don't know whether he's uh, sent a tweet yet. Here we go. FBI director two minutes ago said, crooked Hillary compromised our national security, no charges. Wow. Hashtag rigged system. The system is rigged. General Petraeus got his sister in trouble for far less. Very, very unfair, as usual, bad judgment. See, that's not actually quite true. General um, David Petraeus, who was, um, you know, uh, uh, was ha had an affair, he took classified information home, put it in a drawer, and gave it to his mistress. That is more serious than what she did. He, you see, he did something deliberate. Okay. He did something careless. Uh, all right. If you're happy to have your president reckless and careless, Victoria, that's fine by me. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that from the point of view of a prosecutor, they've yeah, got sure. more to work with when something's deliberate. Absolutely. Is, is, is what the FBI director was saying.
Yeah, well, we've got a better system where we don't allow uh, the president to do anything over here. So maybe you should do that, have a presidential election uh, for a figure, a figurehead. But listen, it's going to be great fun in November, Victoria. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Victoria Jones there from Talk uh, Radio News on 53106 um, is the place for your text messages. Uh, just get it into your thick head, George. The people of Ireland don't want water charges, says Robert. Uh, well, 50% of us paid, Robert, so I'm not sure. Come on over to the lefties, George, says Paul. The water's lovely. I'm sure it is. It's also going to be very deep when the whole bloody place sinks beneath the ocean like some modern-day Atlantis because nobody wants to pay any tax. And uh, Evelyn in County Leitrim said, thinks Senator Joe Toole is a very decent, honest man and should stay on. And like me, she believes it's not possible to get somebody who doesn't have an opinion on water. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie um, a study has been carried out by the Dublin Institute of Technology on the issue of breastfeeding. Um, it looks at the culture of breastfeeding in Ireland, the attitude of fathers towards it. And uh, the lead person on that study is my next guest, Anne-Marie Bennett, a research dietitian at the Dublin Institute of Technology. Uh, welcome to the programme, Anne-Marie. The f- the first thing is that um, what sort of percentage now of of women are actually breastfed feeding in Ireland? I suppose amongst Irish mothers breastfeeding, we're probably looking at about fifty five percent ever giving at least one breastfeed. Compared to uh, other countries, who are the leaders in the breastfeeding league, as it were? You're looking at um, Norwegian countries such as like Sweden and Finland, for Scandinavian example. Scandinavian countries, countries yeah. Sorry, Scandinavian yeah. countries, where you're looking at about maybe 97, 98% breastfeeding initiation, even higher. All right. Now, in, in it, 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 I mentioned the word culture. Clearly, culture has a, a role to play in it here. But um, there is also the issue that, say, first-time mothers, right, mm-hmm. who go into a maternity hospital, the kind of help they get from the the, the maternity nurses is very often crucially important because they're going through a big kind of psychological, they've got a physical problem and then they've got a psychological problem because they've never done this before. And my experience has been that some nurses are really good at helping the mother when they go through the early difficulties uh, and others aren't. So therefore, mm-hmm. the, the, from day one, the, 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 the support is very important. Oh, absolutely. And and even before day one, before the baby is even born, you know, we know from other work that's been done through, for example, a Lesh League, where you know, pregnant women actually witnessing a woman breastfeeding, you know, whilst they're pregnant, um, that, that they learn an awful lot from that and that they're much more prepared for breastfeeding when they then deliver well, their own Well, perhaps baby. daughters of mothers who breastfed, for mm-hmm. instance, would mm-hmm. be a good example. Um, now, of course... The, the line that got everybody jumping up and down in your report was that one in three fathers were mm-hmm. uncomfortable with their mm-hmm. partners breastfeeding in public. Yes. I'm really surprised. Um, I suppose what does uncomfortable mean? Uncomfortable. Uh, I suppose the main reason they gave the, that 38% of fathers, and I suppose important that 62% of fathers sure. were comfortable, um, but the 
38% that had some degree of discomfort, it was mainly down to worry that their partner was going to receive negative comments from other people or that the their partner breastfeeding was going to make other people in the environment uncomfortable. So I suppose they were worried just on the part of their partner and on the part of In a way, people. therefore, what, what that 38% of fathers is doing is a commentary on the way people react yes. to, to women who breastfeed in public. Like yes. watching, um, you know, my, my children, uh, watching or people that I work with who, who have babies. Uh, I mean, you, you barely notice somebody is breastfeeding mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's not exactly as if might happen in in third world countries where mm-hmm. you know it's a very open kind of thing I mean, mm-hmm. people do it so uh, so well I think I fail to yes. understand why people would be upset I suppose it's and that's a very important point you know that it can be so incredibly discreet you wouldn't even know yeah. what's happening but I suppose if people don't have any experience of that um, if, if for example it's the first time a woman has ever breastfed or her mother never breastfed like it's not within the family at all they don't know have friends who breastfeed they might not be aware of just how discreet they can be There are two enormous advantages right mm-hmm. to, to breastfeeding and we're not really talking to you about pro or con that's not the purpose of where we're at but there was an interesting point that came up that a very high percentage like pretty well 80% of fathers were suggesting there were disadvantages disadvantages for them I suppose as as a father Uh, the two main ones were being unable feeling that they couldn't help their partner um, when she was tired um, and maybe struggling with feeding and that they felt maybe that they were at a disadvantage with bonding with their baby um, and I suppose it's very important like, and those were two very key points um, because of course they listed lots of advantages too. But all um, the uh, first of all in terms of men it is yeah. monumentally advantageous like you're not getting up in the middle of the night um, you, there's you no bottles go. there's no bottles to sterilise I mean the sterilisation of bottles for anybody who's had children where there isn't breastfeeding is an enormous problem it's a yes. complete pain in the butt Yes and we actually looked at formula feeding in this study as well and and the primary disadvantages because we asked about advantages and disadvantages there as well the primary disadvantages to formula feeding were the cost the time and the like involved in in the bottles um, and of course that there were less health benefits for the baby yeah but so I, I, 80% that. I dispute 80% I'm not saying that mm. 80% of your respondents didn't say what they did mm-hmm. I just don't believe them because I would think that most men mm-hmm. would sort of say this is a great idea oh, I'm all for this yes but, but probably about the same percentage would have listed advantages too <laughs> okay. um, but I suppose that they're just looking at both sides of the coin right. um, and you know that's you know and it was important to recognize that those disadvantages that they did list in terms of feeling less able to help and feeling less able to bond that they're very much you know they're adva- disadvantages that can very much be overcome with you know proper education of both parents you know throughout the pregnancy the parents are really mother and father are both prepared for the breastfeeding process so that dads um you know that we create a really meaningful place for the dad um, but in but the also I, I mean it, it is i think true to say the by and large, uh, uh, breastfed babies tend to be calmer, uh, quieter, sleep better, all that sort of stuff, because it is naturally a much more natural process, apart altogether from, from the quality of the feed they're ingesting. 
providing the mother isn't drinking 10 gins a day. <laughs> well, we'd hope that wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Yes. Well, I suppose you'd hope, yes, that there'd be a very strong bond created between mother and baby. Yes. that, And I suppose that that would be resulting in possibly a more settled baby. Yes. Um uh, all right, uh, Kate says you're managing to run your show uh, while breastfeeding. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kate. Not quite, uh, but people I work with do precisely that. And tons of women hold down a job while breastfeeding. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And I suppose, you know, there are very clear laws there about the rights of women, you know, to take time within the working day to express if they need to um, so that they keep their milk supply going and, and I suppose sustain breastfeeding for the longer term. Right, so it, my guest is Amory Bennett, research dietitian at Dublin Institute of Technology. How long would it take us to get to Scandinavian levels of ninety-five percent? Uh I wouldn't want to hazard get. I, I would hope it, it, it's probably decades. To be honest, um, at the rate that we're going, um, I would say in the last decade, uh, amongst Irish mothers, the increase in breastfeeding initiation has maybe increased by about maybe six percent or so. Um, so, you know, it, it'll take a, a while before we get to that. But, you know, that's what we should be aiming for. Absolutely. All right. My, my thanks to my guest, Anne-Marie Bennett, research dietitian at Dublin Institute of Technology, who's done us all a favour uh, on the issue of breastfeeding. We've got to just forget about uh, upsetting people and people who are upset to forget about getting upset. It is the most natural thing in the world and we should uh, appreciate that. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Senator Joe Toole has now resigned as chairman of the Water Commission before the thing even opened its door. I'm joined now by the uh, Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Midwest, Owen O'Brien. Deputy O'Brien, explain what happened to people listening. Okay, well, Simon Coveney set up uh, an expert group uh, to look at the future of domestic water charges. And when he set the commission up uh, in the Dáil last week, he said that the purpose of this commission was to take the heat out of the water debate and allow for what he called a rational discussion. He then uh, announced the members of it, most of whom are kind of technocratic experts in, in water policy, uh, and the former Senator Joe O'Toole uh, as chairperson. Uh, Joe then over the weekend made a number of very controversial uh, interviews. He's a straight talker. Everybody knows that. It's one of the things that people like about him as a, as a public figure. Uh, but he did two things that I think were inexcusable. The first thing is he dismissed the views of a whole range of us who take a contrary view to him on the issue of water charges and not just politicians, but the electorate. So he said there should be water charges and all these guys like Sinn Féin or, or anti-Australia or whatever talking nonsense. In essence, is that what he said? Yeah, he's, he's, he's been on record for quite some time going back to when these issues were debated on the Shannon as being in favour of some form of water charges, maybe not the regime that the government, outgoing government introduced. But the first thing is he, he very cavalierly dismissed the views of those of us that take a contrary view. But more significantly than that, he made really revealing comments on, in fact, news talk. And well, show. let's come back to the second one, because I'll just tease out the first one in a minute, because sure. it was something that I was quite strong on at half past four. You'd find it very difficult to get somebody to chair the Water Commission who doesn't have views about water. Isn't that and, right? And, and I have no problem whatsoever in a chairperson having views. Um, okay. there, there isn't anybody... So you have no problem with, with, with him chairing the commission 
uh, being a person who believes there should be water charges. I think if you're put in charge of an expert commission, your job is to steer that commission in its body of work uh, and to be open to all sides of the argument. Yeah. Now, that's going to be very difficult on the issue of water charges because we've all debated this issue extensively over the last number of years. So what, what I'm saying is, I, you know, I knew what his views were when he was appointed and I wasn't calling for his resignation then. Um, but the crucial point is, is to so uh, egregiously disregard as nonsense, as the word he used, the views of many of us, and not just politicians, but voters who take a contrary view, sends out a very bad signal. He's, he used the word nonsense. Nonsense was one of the words he used okay. in, in one of the interviews. Um, but again, that that's not my my foremost concern. And that's why the, the, the second bit of, of the, the news talk interview he did for me is a much bigger problem. Uh, he made quite a detailed statement. I won't quote it because it's too long. But what he essentially was saying was was uh, there was a p- new political reality in the Dáil, i.e. a majority of TDs were against water charges uh, and that the Dáil did not want to face up to this reality. And therefore, the purpose of this commission was to try and work out some consensus uh, and put a sufficient amount of, of sugar on, on the medicine to make it easier to swallow. And that's the phrase. Yes. And what I interpret that to be as him saying that his job is to steer this commission in such a way as to reintroduce water charges, albeit in a slightly more palatable way. Now, what that confirms to me is what I was concerned about at the start when Minister Coveney announced this, that in fact this commission has already made up its mind from the government's point of view, that it wants to come back in five months' time and recommend to the Oireachtas some water charging regime. Minister Coveney is saying that's not the case, that it wants to have a full open debate. But we were suspicious of of the start he then confirmed those suspicions and in the process undermined himself as an independent chair and underpined the commission. And the real point today uh, isn't that Joe O'Toole has resigned. Uh, it's that this commission, before it's even met, is now in a deep crisis. And I think the vast majority of people out there, even people who are willing to give Minister Coveney a fair wind uh, on this commission, are now going, this really is a stitch up. So what does he, where do we go now? Well, Sinn Féin um, argued... Uh, I mean, do we now go to uh, outer Mongolia to find no, somebody who's neutral on water? Here's what we do. Uh, we respect the democratic will of the electorate. Uh, we table a vote in the Dáil to abolish water charges. Uh, it's then dealt with... How, how does that... Rec- the, how, the, government, the government would have to table legislation no, to abolish the No, no, what I charge. mean is, how, uh, how, do you, how do you say that the democratic will of the people is not to have water charges? Because a majority of TDs, it's almost 90-something TDs, were elected on manifestos that included very explicitly the ab- abolition of water charges. Fianna Fáil's manifesto in four separate places in the text. How many people who voted Fianna Fáil read the manifesto, do you think? I, I think the vast majority of people who voted Fianna Fáil know that they were campaigning people to have, abolish people have water wa- charges. I have to tell you, people, like I'm older than you are, people have been walking through uh, ballot boxes voting for Fianna Fáil. If Fianna Fáil said the earth was flat, there are people who would have voted Fianna Fáil. That's true. But what I also know is water charges was one of a number of very significant issues in the election campaign. How many people as a percentage have paid their water charges? Uh, less than 50% of people have paid their full bill over the first year um, and they've only collected 50% of, of the revenue for that full but year. But nobody's paid, no, I shouldn't say nobody, but a ton of people uh, are, are not paying now because, of course, uh, everybody is saying they're going to be abolished and there was even a suggestion that people like me who've paid <coughs> in full mightn't even be refunded if it was abolished. Although if, if, if water charges are abolished, and I hope they are, people like you should and, and will get refunded is my estimation. But but let me make the point. We know a majority of TDs were elected on manifestos that included the 
abolition of water charges. We know it's hugely controversial. What a government should do is introduce the legislation. We should abolish the charge and then we should sit down and we should sensibly look at, as politicians, with whatever expert advice we want, the best way to invest in our water and sanitation infrastructure to fix the huge problems that are as a result of decades of underinvestment. Okay, so you do... But if we, if, we yeah. keep, if we keep going back to this issue of charges, we're not actually going to deal with the really important issue, which is how we fix the leaks in the system and the sewage pumping into our seas. Well, come on. You have the airwaves. Tell me how you're going to fix the leaks. Uh, so, you're going to do it without using any money, obviously. No, we're, we're going to do it, but we're going to do it by using public money. One of the shocking things, if you look at Irish Water's current capital infrastructure programme, so this is the money that's been spent this year and next year to upgrade and tackle those yeah. problems. Uh, in fact, the vast majority of that money isn't even government money. It's borrowed money with additional interest charges. What we need is a government that's going to say the only way to tackle this problem efficiently and effectively is to significantly increase investment from general taxation to tackle the the uh, infrastructural deficits that's there. And you could do that within the fiscal rules that have currently been set down by this government and the European Union, but you need to have the commitment to do it. But what's the <coughs> difference between, I think, what am I paying you to be a bill, but I get a bill for about 60 quid on a regular basis. Let's say I'm paying 120 quid a year, two sixties, which is what I think I'm paying. You're, you're simply going to say, George, you don't pay 120 quid for water. What we're going to do is we're going to increase your income tax by no, 120 well, quid. Absolutely What's not. What, what we're actually saying is the income tax that the vast majority of people pay today is sufficient if government would prioritise investment in this crucial piece of public infrastructure. No, no, I, sorry. This is where, like, it gets very important for people listening. If you spend the money on water then you're not going to spend it on something else. So what's or, the something else you're or, not going to pay? Or what you don't do is you don't cut taxes uh, and reduce revenue. So, for example, Fine Gael wants to suck €5 billion Euros out of the exchequer revenues by abolishing the universal social charge. Sinn Féin has said from the very start, despite the fact that this tax is unpopular, including unpopular among many of the people who vote for us, now that it's there, let's keep that money and invest it in improved public services, including water. So we're not arguing to increase taxes. What we're saying is the taxes that are currently coming in maybe with some changes at the top end in terms of the very wealthy in our society. I'd should love rem- to know who are these very wealthy you keep individual, talking about. In, there are two groups. There are individual earners, not households, but individual earners who earn over €100,000 a year and we'd ask them to pay a very small amount of additional tax. All right. But then there are people who have net assets after you take their debts and liabilities who have net assets in excess of €1 million Euros, and we'd like to see them paying some more too, albeit through a wealth tax. The money is there to tackle this problem. The difficulty is... Fine Gael wants to give it away in tax breaks. We want to fix health, housing and water. The reason Fine Gael want to give it away in tax breaks is clear. That that's how you get elected. And if it, well, like, interestingly, it didn't work for them as well as they thought because they started the election yeah. campaign saying that the abolition of the USC was their big ticket item. Yeah. What they found when they went out on the doors, particularly of working families, is working families, when they were offered a choice, tackle health or housing, tackle childcare or water, or cut taxes, they were going for the, the investment in public services. The interesting thing is, in the latest opinion poll, and, and I think Irish, the Irish Water Commission, I have to say, you, that's why you came in, but it's dead duck, I would suggest to you after today. Um, who'd want to be chairman of this now? It's a dead duck. But but the real issue, if you look at the recent opinion polls, the, only pe- the people who have suffered massively in the opinion to the independents because nobody wants any more people who are motivated by just a one ticket agenda. 
But also keep in mind which party went up the most in that most recent opinion poll. I asked Sinn you the question was in you what you're not going to answer. Six percent. Yeah. Um, now you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people feel they've been sold a pup by the independents because they had independents who campaigned against the government and now many of those independents are either in government or supporting the government and reversing long-standing positions. Shane Ross, who's called for an inquiry into NAMA uh, for years, uh, yet voted last week to prevent an inquiry into NAMA, uh, uh, Mick Wallace and Claire Daly's bill. So I think that reflects that. Yeah. But, but here's the crucial thing, is that when you ask the majority of people, <clears throat> do they want improved public services, improved public water, uh, or reductions to the cost of vital services like childcare, or tax breaks, increasingly people are plumping for the first of those. And the reason why is because they know, particularly as they've been through a recession for the last number of years, that those are services that we all rely on. Everybody needs a good quality health system. Everybody needs good quality water infrastructure. And this year, the actual amount of taxpayers' money going into upgrading the water infrastructure is only €180 million. Euros. Government claim it's 522 million, but the rest of that is borrowed money borrowed by Irish Water and Interest. So they're investing less today in upgrading our water infrastructure than ever before. And we are currently facing infringement proceedings from the European Commission from 2012 because right. of raw sewage okay. being pumped into but, our seas. But, uh, finally, this is whole issue <coughs> of water charges. One of the negatives about water charges, it doesn't do what it was supposed to, which is actually conservation. Don't you accept that? Um, the mo- if the fellow next door to me has six showers a day and I only have one, he should pay more than me. Don't you accept that? The, the two things I the, the two things I'll say is this. The first thing is fifty percent of water is lost in the distribution system yeah. before it even reaches your shower or the shower of the fellow next yeah. door. So the priority for conservation has to start with the water infrastructure. What's also interesting is Irish Water will tell you <coughs> that from the limited data that they have, uh, but data nonetheless, that in fact uh, average household usage of water uh, in Southern Ireland is actually below EU averages. So we don't have a huge problem of excessive use of water. We don't wash. So we do, but but <laughs> but, but, on, but, but for the data that's there, yeah. we're not excessive users. So okay. if you want to conserve, and do I want to conserve water? Absolutely. Start by fixing a dilapidated water infrastructure system which leaks 50% of the water and if you do that then we can start having conversations about individual use but on the point you asked I have a view which is for vital frontline public services general taxation is the fairest way to do it uh, because it takes into account not just usage but it takes into account income and ability to pay and what I would say to you is the family that lives next door to you that has uh, two or three adult special needs children that need more water usage, they shouldn't be financially penalised because of additional of needs. Not. And that's oh, why I think nobody general taxation... nobody would argue on that. Well, that's what the government is proposing under the current scheme. And that's why general taxation for right. vital frontline public services is the best and fairest way in our view. All right. I, I did get a, a text. Some people agreeing and disagreeing with you, but somebody says a huge difference in my interview with you today and the Finley Gale TD yesterday. Um, no Rock, we were talking about the charity debacle at Console. <coughs> Hardly argument between anybody. Today we are talking about topical bones water, in which it's reasonable to say opinion is divided 50-50 or thereabouts. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. We'll wait and see. I'm reasonably certain that Ono Brinder TD for Dublin Midwest will be back as um, this water and this government uh, inexorably is heading towards a monumental leak. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie
My next guest, in an article in the Irish Independent this morning, wrote, Shane Ross has become the Boris Johnson of this government. He craves the power but has no desire to accept responsibility or acknowledge the consequence of his actions. It's Fanon Sheehan, editor of the Irish uh, Independent. Welcome to the programme. Editor, um, those are strong words. Yeah, but on the back of his behaviour... Uh, within the past uh, 72 hours, the government's credibility has been damaged. The Taoiseach's authority has been further eroded, if that, if that was even possible. Uh, and the Attorney General most severely has been uh, undermined because Shane Ross basically chooses an a la carte approach. He, you know, the, the Constitution matters one minute, the Attorney General matters one minute, then they don't the next collective accountability doesn't doesn't really matter. You don't really have to stand over a decision today, but you do next week. So whenever it suits you, you can ad- adopt and, and change the rules but whatever you want. But since the very first minute, this independent alliance has been, seems to be unaware of what government is. Ross, for instance, um, leaked that he was the Minister for Transport before the great tradition of the Taoiseach marching in with the new ministers mm. behind him. Then we, we had McGrath and the issue of water charges. He needed the aforesaid Attorney General to tell him whether he should pay or not. Can I ask you about the Attorney General? Because um, Minister Ross sort of said it's just an opinion, didn't he? Yeah. The, the Attorney General's opinion has been very important as long as that office has been around. Oh, I mean, you, you can't just... The, the Attorney General isn't some fella in a wig down the four courts who you go down and pay a few grand to, to give you an opinion back. They are a con- the, the Attorney General is a constitutional office holder uh, set out under Article 30.1 of the Constitution. Basically that this is the legal advisor to the government. Not a member of the government, but the appointed one. So they're not just any other lawyer. They are there for a, a specific reason. Their advice and their counsel uh, is given basically on a daily basis to ministers. Uh, any issue that arises effectively has to be uh, cleared uh, to the Attorney General's office in one way or another. Maybe not the Attorney General uh, themselves, but the, their staff uh, and so on. So in this case, Shane Ross is choosing to say, oh, well, sure, it's just an opinion. I mean, anybody can, any fellow in a bar stool could offer an opinion. That's not the case here. He, Shane Ross is also a constitutional office holder. He is one of the 15 cabinet ministers. That's the problem here. It's not, he's trying to brand it as, oh, we're the independent alliance and we're a group of independent TDs and we want to do things differently. Doesn't matter. He is one of 15 ministers prescribed in the Constitution as a member of government, so his behaviour does matter. What the other guys do may have uh, implications and consequences and so on and so forth, but Shane Ross's actions are the ones that really matter under the eyes of the Constitution. In the issue of the Attorney General, because like a lot of Democrats would be really worried at a damage to the office of the Attorney General. Do you think the, that the Taoiseach made an error in appointing a Labour Attorney General when Labour were no longer in government? Does that in some way, I don't mean change our opinion, mm. but in some way that Minister Ross thinks that she is Mary Whelan is fair game uh, because she's not Fianna Gael? Well, if anything, her 
reappointment was kind of a, a signal to everybody of the level of trust that the Taoiseach had in her. Um, people were actually surprised during the during the previous government at how closely and how well Mara Whelan worked uh, with the Fine Gael ministers uh, on a on a personal and, and professional level. Got uh, extremely well. Was was seen to be very authoritative. Was seen to be independent in her viewpoint. And certainly there was there were suspicions at the start five years ago. Oh well, this is Labour bringing in one of their own people who will continue to to side with them. And that suggestion was was quickly uh, knocked on, on the head and those reports are coming back from s- several Fine Gael ministers so the fact that he had the opportunity then at the end of that term of government with Labour drummed out that he could have appointed somebody else maybe with a, a more blue background uh, it was more a vote of confidence in Maura okay. that in fact he, he did return her. Now your Sunday paper, your sister paper, the Sunday Independent on Sunday had that poll in which the independents lost massively. Now I know it's only a support mm. But the big losers with the independent. Does that mean that perhaps Minister Ross and and uh, Minister McGran, Halligan, and so on, at they're feeling the cold wind of pressure and are trying to carve out some independent position for themselves? Well, if they're carving out independent, they've, they've chosen a rather strange uh, battle. They're, they're saying that this is an issue of conscience and they have to vote for. It. So ultimately, what are what are they going to do? They're going to vote on Thursday for a piece of legislation that the Attorney General says is unconstitutional. Uh, and wouldn't uh, pass muster if, if it went to the, to the Supreme Court. The chief medical officer uh, has told them that uh, it also won't actually, the provisions of the legislation won't actually do what it's intended to do, which is to allow for uh, abortions in cases of fatal fetal abnormalities. One of the masters of the main maternity hospitals in Dublin has also said it won't actually provide any clarity whatsoever. Uh, Shane Ross himself has said, well, you know, if it's flawed, can't we bring it in and, and amend it? and so on and so forth to, to committee stage which is pretty much saying yeah I, I don't think it, it matches up either but we can change it along the way and, and see how we, we get along so it's, it's not exactly a very professional way uh, of, of going about uh, your business it's also suggested that you know, even if it was to pass that the, that the president would ultimately end up referring to the Supreme Court. But the reality is it isn't going to pass because Fine Gael are going to vote against it. There'll be a free vote in Fianna Fáil. The vast majority of Fianna Fáil people are, are going to vote uh, against it as well. The independents in general seem to be split down uh, the middle. So the, the, this is a, an issue upon which, you know, they'll have this, you know, this moral victory over the dastardly Fine Gaelers. But what exactly will they have achieved out of it? All right. What about Taoiseach? But you did the very beginning of the discussion. My guest, by the way, the editor of the Irish Independent, uh, Financian, and um, you said the Taoiseach's authority is eroded if it, if it's possible to erode it any yeah. further. Well, he's he's been damaged goods. Uh, for quite some time now. Mainly his general election performance was decidedly off. The general election strategy which he has to take responsibility for uh, certainly didn't connect uh, with the people. He lost a significant number of uh, seats as a result of that. He then came back and found himself in a scenario where he struggled to cobble together even enough votes to get him across the line whereby he could set up a, a minority uh, government. There seemed to be an awful lot of messing around in terms of talking to people and not talking to people uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so as a result of that, we now have a Taoiseach who is, is, he's not quite a lame duck yet, but he's pretty much said, well, I don't intend to lead the party into the next general election, so therefore people are already looking at the succession rate and talking about when exactly well, will when he leave. when is the next general election? 
Well, given uh, the behaviour of ministers in recent days, yeah. you'd have to say that that it could be a lot sooner than we thought. I mean, the, the big the bigger issue here is we are in what what ministers in this government are admitting themselves uh, the biggest challenge facing this country in in in, in two generations. Uh, as a result of Brexit and the knock-on consequences that that will cause uh, in terms of Anglo-Irish relations and our our position basically in Europe as as an ally to the UK as part of the EU that has all fundamentally changed now in, in the past twelve days and rather than getting a government that we are staying uh, that we could say to the public is you know they are they are stable they are cognizant of the importance of the of matters at hand they are coming to a, agreement to show that this is a unified government and it is going about its its business in a thorough fashion we're getting sidetracked by issues i'm not saying that the 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 bill and the issue pertaining to the bill is not important but this issue around free votes and whether this is constitutional and what the attorney general means it's all irrelevant meanwhile you have uh, you have Mark Kearney, uh, the governor of the, of the Bank of England, uh, and you have George Osborne, the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, basically adapting the British economy to the new economic climate. What exactly is our response here? We're having rows over who's going to be in charge of a, of a commission on Irish water. The, the opinion poll, finally, mm. Financhin, again, in your sister paper on Sunday, that, however, didn't indicate that you could have a government either. Although no. it had changes, it still showed a fracture that would not allow uh, a government in the traditional way to be formed. No, it, it, it pretty much pointed towards a, a swing back towards the major parties. And w- one could argue that that is a, a response to the Brexit uh, outcome, that people are seeing that there is that instability and uncertainty out there, so maybe they're, they're going back um, to to what they would regard as a, as a more traditional uh, form of politics in terms of, of a return to the big parties. And yet, at the same time, they're not going back so far that they're handing a mandate to one or other of those parties to form a, a government on their own. So struggle on, you think? Yeah, but it's struggle on. But how long can you continue to struggle on when... Relations like I mean, everybody who has been in uh, coalition governments over over the past twenty five years has said trust and relationships are the most important thing in terms of keeping things going. No matter what trouble comes down the line, as long as people can get along and they can talk it through, they will they will overcome that hurdle. When you are seeing that trust being gradually scraped away over arguments like this, which ultimately won't amount to a whole hill of beans come Thursday afternoon then you're really wondering how exactly are they going to survive a major crisis. All right. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. The editor of the Irish Independent, Fanon Sheehan. Uh, 